Welcome to Best Picture This, where it is always Oscar season. I'm Mike. And I'm Brian. In this show, we reevaluate every Best Picture nominee from the 21st century and decide whether to keep it or kick it from its Oscar pedestal. But today is no ordinary episode because rather than taking just one movie on, we're going to we're going to dive into a bunch here, Brian. We're going to do 3 specifically, but I think we might talk about some extras in there at the end if we have some time. Is there is there such a thing as a normal best picture this episode? That's true. I Most mean, of the time I do say, but today it's not it's not like <laughs> normal. It's a little bit different. Yes, you do. <laughs> so today is going to be even more different than that because our <laughs> titles are going to be Bug the Paranoia Horror from William William Friedkin, Away From Her, The Alzheimer's Love Drama from Sarah Pauly, and The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, my favorite title of the three, and that's the <laughs> historical biopic from Andrew Dominic. You you prefer that over Bug? You, th- yeah. you think Bug is a good title? I, I don't know. <laughs> Not really. But Not, uh, I, really. I always kind of feel like the more words you can fit into the title, the better off you Extraordinarily are. Extraordinarily long titles, I, I like. That was uh, Brad Pitt included that in his contract that they would not change that title oh that's fantastic i want to say much better than the birdman (laughs) long title though i can never remember Uh, the second part of that that's a pretty good one that's pretty cool yeah that's a good one um bug let's start out with bug so bugs directed by william friedkin who also directed french connection which i have not seen it's in my it's in my glaring you know errors of uh movie completism it's interesting that you say that before the exorcist it's kind of an odd choice well that's what came up i haven't seen the exorcist either i'm not this is my first foray into william friedkin wow okay so yeah um it's written by tracy letts who mm-hmm. won a pulitzer prize for august osage county in 2007 which is the same year this movie came out um bug came out although bug is based on a play that he wrote in 1996 uh, michael shannon was the star of that play on stage um 62% on Rotten Tomatoes, which we care a lot about. Love it. Also, get this, Cinema Score, F. Oh, come on. <laughs> that breaks my heart. Oh. One of two movies that got an F in 2000, well, according, it's always like, is this, is this a 2006 release or an 07? You know, it depends on what, what you count, but. Officially, it's an 07 for our, our purposes. There's only two movies that got an F that year in all of Cinema Score. That's records. insane. And just to tip my hand a little bit here. You this, really loved it. Yes. This episode partly <laughs> is like, okay, let's do a bunch of episodes so we can kind of wrap up 2007. Yeah. But also, it's all three of these movies, I think, could have or maybe should have been nominees for Best Picture. So an F on Cinema Score, that. I think that's that proof that it should not have been nominated for Best Picture. Budget you're right. You're right. Four million. Box, I love that. Box office eight point two. So double. I don't know. That's <laughs> <laughs> mark of success. <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah, let's just dive in. I have some trivia. I got a few questions. Um, I don't know. Did you? Why don't we start with? Are you going to keep it or kick it? Why don't we start with that? Because we're going to go wow. all three of these. We might not have time to talk a ton about any of them. Yeah. So let's make sure to at least get get to that. Like, what is the essence that says, yes, I keep, no, I don't? Man, um, you know, I spent so much time thinking about each three of these. I didn't think about ranking them, and I didn't really <laughs> think about the keep it or kick it, because I love all three. That's what our show is all about. I love all three. Um, I would say any other year, yes. 
but 2007, <laughs> I think, is the best year that we've done on this show. Yeah. Maybe by far. I would have the well. We started 99. in 99. Pretty we started good. in 99, so it's 99 and this. Yeah. I think are the two standout years. So I want to say yes, but I also don't want to be a liar at the end of the year if I find five that. Have you ever been a liar on this show before? Oh, oh God, every year. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Are you going to keep this? Or I'm not going to keep it. I mean, there are some things that I also loved about it. The aluminum foil room, like mm-hmm. you can't, you, you got to love the movie magic of the aluminum foil covered room, you know, in the last like third of the movie or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm convinced by Michael Shannon's performance. I feel like the biggest problem I had with it is Ashley Judd. You have to, it's, it's one thing to believe that one person goes from possibly normal, but a little bit kooky mm-hmm. to so insane that he's like cutting himself up and blow, starting himself on fire. It's one thing to believe one person will do that. <clears throat> to think that a second person would also do it independently, not independently because they're together, but he's doing it because he's certified, you know, lunatic basically. Mm. He's got PTSD. Okay. His, 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 you, you say no? <laughs> Did I miss I mean, maybe all of this is real, you know, maybe. <clears throat> well, actually, there is a question of that. I, 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 I did read about that. I didn't catch it when I watched it. But, but this is a love story, right? I mean, this is this is about the power of love and how yep. it can kind of destroy you, how, how it can make you do crazy, crazy things. But for Ashley Judd to break down like it did, mm-hmm. the movie, for me, to be like a keep-worthy, like top five type of movie of the year, I would have to really buy that she also went just as crazy as he did. And I was kind of like, eh, it seems like it's nice on paper, but didn't quite, I didn't quite believe it when I'm watching it. Hmm. So that's kind of a, that, that was basically a, you know, sealed the deal that I'm going to, I'm going to kick it. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't totally blame you, but you said that this was a play, which it was first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the style kind of has a whole lot to do with whether I, or not true. you get swept up in this thing. So yeah. it's. It's got this chamber play style. You could imagine this being on a stage because it is kind of one location. It's just two characters and it's a ton of dialogue. Lots but just of dialogue. Story-wise, yeah. maybe if people haven't seen this movie, just really quick, it all takes place in this kind of dumpy motel room. And it's about Ashley Judd. She's poor and lonely. She's a waitress. And she's kind of just got out of an abusive relationship with this ex-husband. Or, Harry Connick Jr. <laughs> yeah. Who's jerk, taking a real bad guy turn stud, here. Yeah. Um, and then we also find out that in the past, before this movie took place, she lost her young daughter, which informs a lot of her yeah. of her character. She meets Michael Shannon. He's a little bit off kilter. And then together... A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> they start suspecting that maybe they're being watched by something and then it kind of devolves from there. But that play style is all about dialogue. You know, it hinges 100% on the dialogue and whether or not you can kind of ride that wave and believe what Mm. these people are feeling. And I could see some people sort of feeling like this movie made me claustrophobic or maybe even bored if they need more plot points or all that dialogue is is exciting, which Mm. it is for me. So I'm curious where you fall on that. I was good with the amount of dialogue. Um, Before even realizing that it was a play, I suspected that it was mm-hmm. because it just, it's all in one room and there's two people, you, you know, can feel for almost it. Yeah. the whole thing. Now, the fact that you have those kind of restrictions, I mean, if you're trying to write a play and the real, the rule is it has to happen in one room and you only have two people, that's pretty hard to come up with a really compelling story with interesting twists and turns in it. Because I so guess there are it, three other challenge. characters, but they sort of come in and out 
Yeah, there's Harry Connick Jr. And then there's, um, I forget what her name, the actress's name is, but... The best friend. Ashley yeah, Joe's the best, best friend. Yeah. So the, the, they do come in and out, but... And then there's the... The sort of mysterious... Cop. Doctor cop doc, yeah, dude. Dude at the end. Um, so there's there's very little to work with. And to make a compelling drama out of it, it's like, wow, Tracy Letts. I mean, this is, this is high level writing that we're talking about. But in a play, sometimes you have to appreciate those limitations and give a little bit, suspend your disbelief a bit mm-hmm. and say like, okay, that was a little bit of a quick emotional turn, but this is a play, you know, it's in one, mo- it's in one room, you know, there's only two people. What else do they have to work with? The thing is, because it's a movie, you could do other things. So I feel like getting away with it in the play is one thing, getting away with it as a movie when you know, they got a $4 million budget instead of like a, you know, just paying Michael Shannon's salary or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, well, you know, this guy is legit director, you know, why couldn't he uh, make it work? I kind of love <laughs> this and Tracy Letts also writes Friedkin's, I think next movie, Killer Joe, mm-hmm. which is also another very sort of low budget, self-contained, kind of disturbing pseudo horror mm-hmm. movie thing. And I love how <laughs> Friedkin is the William Friedkin in the 70s. And then he kind of does this weird stripped down thing in the 2000s where he's like, okay, now I'm just going to work with like no budget in a trailer park and we're just going to make this movie over a couple of months. It just is a very stripped down kind of raw thing. And I don't know if that was by necessity because he lost so much juice over the years or what (laughs) pissed people off in some way. I don't know. Or if it's because he kind of was trying to reinvent himself, but it, the reinvention, I feel, you know, I kind of feel like you could tell that there is somebody who knows what they're doing behind the camera here because mm-hmm. this kind of sells itself as a horror movie. It sets you, it sets you up to think like, well, maybe the ex-husband's going to be the villain here, but then it veers it, off track. It's definitely suspenseful. And the weirder it gets, the more, I, I thought the weirder it got, it was successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was pushing, get, getting pretty extreme, but. Um, anyway, and even was, even good. Michael I Shannon's was, character, you're kind of like, well, obviously this guy is crazy. Like, yeah. I'm not going to believe anything he's saying. But then, sort of over time, there are a few clues. Like, the, Ashley Judd's phone is ringing early on. We don't know who's calling. And uh, this doctor guy who shows up, he kind of confirms some of the things that Michael Shannon's been saying. Um, and then this husband's return. You don't know if that's a kind of a coincidence or if it kicked off this whole, I don't know, mania that's going on. Mm-hmm. I like how it rides that line. Yeah, it does. And there's also some question of whether all that stuff really happened, right? Like there's a last scene that like thinks, okay, maybe it was just like all in their imagination or something. Mm -hmm. I love the uh, opening scene, the the long drone shot or helicopter shot coming from way far away and then getting closer and closer and you hear the phone. That's that's a pretty cool opening shot. Mm -hmm. Um, Can I do a few trivia points? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so William Friedkin said the tinfoil was a nightmare to work with, <laughs> as you can imagine. Yeah. If you haven't seen the movie, you could probably find a picture of this easily, but the entire interior of the room is hundred percent covered in foil, tinfoil. Um, it had to be repaired constantly. Everybody, and it reflected everybody who was there, including the crew, you don't think of that problem. Yeah. Like if it's all mirrors, how yeah. would you ever shoot that? Oh man. You know, uh, that was kind of interesting. Um, during the shoot, many of the crew members got rashes from bed bugs. 
in their hotel rooms. Oh, creepy. Or did they? Oh. Uh, Jodie Foster was considered for Ashley Judd's role. The exterior shots. Okay, this is a this is a hilariously dumb IMDb trivia point. Okay, this okay. is up there with. We've with had some, some of your best. We've had a few doozies. <laughs> we've had a few doozies. This is one of the worst that I have read on IMDb. The exterior shots of the motel were shot at an actual motel. What? If you didn't believe that, they just built that in the middle of the desert. Wow. Anyway. It really is out there. It's kind of like the Bates <laughs> Motel. Like the only way to get there is if the highway yeah. is built, you know? <laughs> um, there's only one take for the fire scene. Can you guess why? Um, I mean, they didn't use real fire, I suppose. They, yeah, because the budget wouldn't allow for another fire. So they could only mm. do it once. Okay. There was real fire. But I mean, they didn't set themselves on fire. Yeah. I don't, they, they I, didn't, they I, I hope not. I think, I think uh, Ashley Judd survived. Um, Michael Shannon's best role? Have you seen Take Shelter? I have, and I can't wait to watch it again. Oh, yeah. I also am a big fan of him in Revolutionary Road. I mean, I mm. love practically everything about that movie, but it's kind of a small role. But I feel like his role in Revolutionary Road is like him. That, that's the real him. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Michael. <laughs> um, there's one quick quote that I'm going to end with, at least and you can have the final word. But he said in an interview, deadpan, um, I think it's a love story. Uh, between two intensely damaged individuals, but it's not called love story. It's called bug. So it's probably about some other things too, namely bugs. <laughs> namely grief. That and sounds very much like a Michael Shannon codependency. Yeah. But I mean, he's, he's. I like Michael Shannon a lot. He's kind of well, in everything BPT stamp of approval. I love him here. I love him in Take Shelter. Mm -hmm. I do feel like he's he like he's a little much with his with his kind of stern in eccentricity i don't know i think about like um shape of water yeah you had other issues with shape of water i don't think that was his fault i think that was i think you had issues with the writing of that but yeah that's just maybe my, my maybe opinion. but about it being a love story yeah. the ending is so grim yeah. but at the same time this is the happiest these characters have been yeah. in a really long time right because they've kind of found the two people yeah. each other who have um who get them on it some level it, has it both ways in this movie, but like, it's a cautionary it's tale. Yeah. Because it's like, if you find that sort of enabler that can unlock something that is that one piece too much. Mm -hmm. Um, and then th th this, this is what can happen, Brian. This is why you should stay out of relationships. Oh, really? <clears throat> too dangerous. Um, th Michael Shannon's, uh, big monologue where he's showing how paranoid he is. Again, that, that's, that's just great writing. Tracy Letts, you know, um, I'm looking forward to going back to August Osage County too. It's been a while. All right. Away from her. Away from her. Yeah. Um, do you have a neat and tidy summary of this one that would be useful for people who haven't read it? So this is about it? an elderly, um, man and wife. Now let's not, let's not be ageist here. No, one of my favorite things about this movie <laughs> is how unageist it is. And we'll get into that. But, um, basically they're both realizing that the wife has some form of dementia and it, yeah. it's, it's kind of like they try to ignore it at first, but over time it becomes harder and harder to ignore. They get it confirmed. They see it start getting worse and she decides <clears throat> excuse me, that she's going to check herself into an assisted living facility, kind of take that burden off of him. Yep. And then the entire movie after that is kind of about them dealing with this and learning to um, let go and be kind to themselves and each other. She has to be, um, she, he has to stay away from her for 30 days. Yeah. And when he comes back, it looks like they've fallen in love.
It's based on an Alice Munro story who is one of the, the modern masters of the short story. Um, Sarah Polly directed it and um, she, you know, inspired by that. Julie Christie. Um, and what is, what is the guy's name? Shoot. I knew I had it here. Julie Christie is so good. She is in this. She's tremendous in it. And the other actor, I've got it in a trivia at least. Hold on one second. Um, So my first question is, I'm going to have to pull out a measuring stick here, Brian. Okay. This tool that I brought to the studio. If you look at it, I've got in my hands here. Mm. It's called the cryometer. (laughs) (laughs) And you need to tell me, and this is going to tell me if you're being truthful or not. Don't tell me you cried at this movie. How many times did you cry in this movie is the question. I cried zero times, but it is definitely impactful so you're telling me the room didn't get dusty one time not at all i mean once i'm i i don't let i i'm not really in touch with my emotions like you you are are. way more in touch with your emotions (laughs) than i am and i will say though is this the first time you've seen this i i think i watched it before but i remember being pretty surprised a lot of the time so i don't know if i ever maybe i'd never finished it or i don't know what but it was it, it either way it's been a long time on first watch years ago I, this was a movie that I sort of appreciated, that I respected, but I didn't connect with it emotionally. This time, oh man, I thought it was just working on all cylinders. The room was full of dust. Full of dust. It was full of dust in my in my house. It was it was bad. I needed to get a Swiffer in there or something <laughs> because the cryometer was just going off. So Gordon Pinsent. That's the actor's name. Is, the lead actor is is the uh, is Julie Christie's husband in this movie. Yeah. I thought he had a great performance also. Yeah, yeah, he's great. But I think part of my emotional reaction to this is, you know, you have personal experiences, your own life that you can tap into, and that's part of it for sure. But the other part is, like, you were talking about the ageist thing. I think that there's so much dignity in these characters, which is something that you don't really see a whole lot in movies. You know, a lot of time the old people are like, wacky and in comedies or in dramas they're just like kind of cast aside as like all right you're going to play the grandma and that's it in here they are so fully fleshed out and deep and it's such a sad movie but it's kind of about like what are the what are the nice things that we can do for each other like how do we make the person's the person that we love how do we make their life better even if that means hurting ourselves in, in the process. You know, mm-hmm. and I think it's kind of those things in movies, like somebody doing something good rather than doing something bad that almost almost hits me harder <laughs> than something that's just purely sad. It's it's really um the 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 concept behind it, it was based on, you know, something that Alice Monroe really observed. Hmm. And uh, or or yeah. So yeah, this is a the, the situation and the heartbreak is is very real. Um Away from her, um, Julie Christie was nominated for Best Actress, and Sarah Polly was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Julie Christie won for this one Best Actress in Screen Actors Guild Awards. And what really was the most important in this situation is that um, she won Best Actress for the AARP movies for mm-hmm. grown up for movies for grown up awards. We're so. revisiting the AARP. This has come up before. This is like well, we should make this a recurring because spot. It's it's about you know going to a nursing home. Um, although I got a, a AARP magazine in the mail yesterday. <laughs> um, How did you feel about that? It was fine. You know, I uh, I you don't have to be elderly to sign up for AARP, and if you are 
a member of AARP, then there's there's perks. You get some sweet restaurant coupons? No, I don't think you get that. You have to be, but but I did get a discount on something with my phone. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so this movie, this movie did hacks. not give you an emotional impact. So it let's, did. Oh, it, it did. It did. I okay. just didn't actually bring me to tears exactly, but it certainly was very moving, and I, I, I thought it was great. So I, I know bef- in the past you've talked about your keep it or kick it, kind yeah. of hinging on on how much you feel a movie. So in this one in particular, was it enough to be a contender for it, your top five? Def- it was for sure. I think I wasn't thinking it would be when I first. Um, when I uh, first, you, you were saying that you wanted to add it, add it to our best era, our bonus episode list. And um, yeah, I didn't expect it to be that way, but it definitely is a strong contender. Um, I'm, I'd have to look at my list. I don't want to tip my hand, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's tentatively sitting in the top five at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, it is for me also. Um, but I just feel like we're going to get to this review episode and I'm going to be so unhappy with my list yeah. because I, I, I love so many movies. You're gonna have to put Grindhouse in twice in the top five. <laughs> we'll get to Grindhouse. Just everybody, <laughs> calm down. Um, so a couple questions. Uh, so the, the again, the story is based on an Alice Monroe story. The the movie. So who deserves the praise for the writing? It's an adapted screenplay, but the dialogue and the how the you know the concept of the story, like. I didn't read the story. I was pl- I was hoping to get to it, to read the story, to look at it. But, you know, it's sort of like No Country for Old Men, you know, which we're going to talk about in an upcoming episode. How much do the Coen brothers deserve any credit for the writing when what they did was really just condense some of what he did and kept practically everything else? And the same thing with, with uh, Sarah Polly. Like, I don't know. It's hard to say. Do you ever but, question that? Yeah, yeah, I do. But... It- <laughs> Without comparing them side by side, it is hard to say, and because yeah. the mediums are so different, um, you know, there, there's there's visual language in a movie, so mm-hmm. they the two have to work together. I can see where there that's cinematography, that's directing, mm-hmm. but the uh, writing itself. But you can tell some of the story that's in the writing through true images. You and don't always need to use decision. To, to some use of words. those decisions are are really important too. Yeah. Yeah. So the words that you don't use are maybe sometimes as important as the ones that you do. So it's, it's one of those unanswerable questions. I mm-hmm. think that's why I asked it. So you um, said that this is Sarah Pauli's first movie. So how furious does it make you that <laughs> this was her debut? Was it the debut? Um, I think it might've, Let's see. Was it really the debut? It's her debut. Okay. She's done some shorts and she did an episode yeah. of a TV show before this. But um, yeah, this yeah, was it's, her debut. it's quite fear, infuriating. It's amazing. Um, she was chosen by Variety as one of the ten directors to watch in 2007, but she didn't direct anything again until 2011. So it took four more years. And was um, that Take This Waltz? Take This Waltz. Yeah. And then she did the documentary in 2012, Stories We Tell, which mm-hmm. I haven't seen, um, but curious. And then. Another 10 years go by and she's going to be doing a movie called Women Talking in 2022. Um, but so did Variety get it wrong? Like not a director to watch because she didn't do that many movies? I don't know. Her two movies after this are great. <laughs> um, so I am looking forward to seeing this new one. I think that she's just uh, finishing up a book right R- now also. Rooney so. Mara and Frances McDormand are in the new movie. Oh, nice. <clears throat> of course, she's most famous, Sarah Polly, for being Ramona in 1988. Uh, TV show. Um, Sarah Polly dropped out of high school 
She's, Another one of she's those. She's now on now the top, top of the list for respect category. Hmm. Dropped out of high school to become a political activist. And she was attacked by police at a protest in 1995. I mean, that's, that's great. Ramona. She was Ramona by then. She was originally cast as Penny Lane and Almost Famous. Hmm. Um, but she didn't, feel, uh, she didn't feel comfortable with the role. So <clears throat> I'm trying to think of what other... Uh, oh, what, what did you think of the very last scene? Do you remember the very last image? Remind me. So the last image is of Gordon Pinsent. Um, or it's, it's like him reminiscing, basically. But the last image is her as a young woman. Mm. And then it goes to black. That's kind of sprinkled throughout yeah, where, where we see these sort of yeah. memory, uh, memory like flashbacks. They're kind of shot on like a super eight. It looks like, mm-hmm. um, very golden and gauzy. Uh, no, I, that was just the tears in your eyes. <laughs> it probably was. <laughs> it probably was. No, I mean, I, I, almost no, no part of this movie didn't work for me. Yeah, so by the end of it, here. I, I was like pumping my fist. I love um, when the credits rolled. I loved the slow um, release of information. You know, you find out that he had an affair at one point and she brings it up as they're going to, you know, if she's going to be dropped off. And then you don't really know the time sequence. You know, she he, he's going to this other woman's house. We don't know who this is. And then like all of a sudden he's back there and you realize, oh, that was all the same day. And, yeah. And then they... I don't know, just the way it all unfolds so slowly, mm-hmm. all so calmly, but there's so much inner turmoil and heart and heartbreak yeah. that it just, again, every moment I agree, it worked, it worked well throughout. And for a movie with sort of loud emotions, there really are no loud moments. Yeah. You know, you never have a moment where somebody has a big breakdown crying or screaming scene, uh, but you don't need it when the performances and the writing are this good. I loved the, uh, the letter, the, the, the readings of the letters from Ireland or whatever it was. I don't know what book it was, but it was added a lot of atmosphere. Oh, so I'm going to have a really hard time ranking these. Mm-hmm. So that's bug. And that is away from her. So let's move on to the assassination of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford, by Robert Ford, the coward. Or, oh yeah, yeah. By the coward, Robert Ford. So, okay, so we're going to have to talk James. about two things, okay. the style and sort of where this is in terms of like a postmodern, Western moral ambiguity. So where do you want to start? Well, let's just first say that Casey Affleck was nominated for supporting actor. Uh, Well-deserved. You like Casey Affleck? Oh oh yeah. So good in this movie. Oh yeah. Better than he was in Manchester by the sea. This, this and that are the two big ones. It's it, it. They're different, but I almost feel like there's some harder to pull off moments in this than there was in Manchester by the sea. I think he was well-deserved the accolades in Manchester by the sea, but mm-hmm. this is astounding acting performance in my opinion. My first question to you was going to be what's better Casey Affleck's performance really? or Roger Deakins cinematography. <laughs> it's like the impossible um, question. Yeah. Roger Deakins was also nominated for cinematography. We've talked about Roger Deakins on this show. I'm a big fan. Everybody should be. Um, also did no country for old men this year. Is the cinematography here better? I think so. Here's the thing with, with this movie. You hate it. I do not hate it. I actually like it quite a bit. It's very long. Um, and I think it's too long. There's a lot of critics who felt that way. Um, uh, it was made for 30 million and it made 15. Mm -hmm. That's 
that's crazy for a for a Brad Pitt movie. Um, it's a are there no western are there no western fans out there that they didn't want to come and see it? It's a grindhouse level flop. Big big flop. Um, I think that the acting of Casey Affleck was more impressive than the cinematography. I love this. I love the look of it in some ways. I feel like the art the artifice of the voiceover is not helping the movie. Okay. I, I don't hate it, but I don't think it really helps enough to justify the the sort of it it. it it rests so much on that structure that it's like trying to tell, you know, like trying to make it a news story or history piece or something. I don't really love that part of it. I also think that although it's impressive and interesting what Roger Deakins did. Um, you think it's a little showy? With, shoot, I thought I had, I know I read some of the trivia, but I may maybe not have copied it over, but he, he, he goes into some detail in a, in a, um, in an article that I read about how they made some of those like weird camera effects that make it look like vignetted and kind of like old timey. Mm -hmm. He basically invented that hmm. um, for this movie, at least in that particular way, he kind of made it up. And that's just cool when you can, you know, mess around with, with the technical side for the, for the benefit of the storytelling in the movie. Yeah. But, um, and then there's the, you know, the time lapses that happen that are fine, you know, it's good, but you like now that, you know, you can just do that on your iPhone. It's not quite as exciting to see a time lapse of clouds. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so maybe that, I don't know. I, I guess I loved the train robbery stuff in the low light. That's when Roger Deakins is like at his best. He also did American gangster. Did he not in this year? Mm, I'm going to have to double wow. check that, but prolific year i'm gonna i'm gonna double check that before i say that but <clears throat> casey affleck doing what he did i thought was you know even more impressive what about you so i, I kind of feel like they're they're so connected and they sort of inform each other because this thing what i love so much about casey affleck here scandals aside let's just <laughs> let's, let's say that we're just talking about about the craft that he has this way of sort of projecting contrasting emotions like rage and vulnerability at the same time yeah. by seemingly emoting almost zero i know <laughs> it's so true it's so true i don't really understand it's like all he's embarrassed yeah and he's just slimy and it's all in his sort of posture <laughs> and in his eyes rather than kind of the way that he's delivering the lines. And when you bring up the the narration, that puts like kind of a little bit of a literary distance in, in the movie. And I think that you're right about that. And I think the Deacon cinematography does the same thing because the, so many of these frames look like paintings, right? So there's kind of like this yin and yang here between mm -hmm. like a, a world that feels very, very big. The Wild West feels vast, but then it also feels kind of claustrophobic and then it's kind of beautiful, but it's also kind of brutal. And then you think about Brad Pitt's character and he's cool and calm, but also kind of scary and volatile. When when he's like making these threatening, he's making these threats and he's just like laughing insanely at the dinner table, like that's Brad Pitt. Like he does that so well. It takes such such advantage of his dangerous charisma and 
Casey Affleck, you described it well. It takes such great advantage of both of them. Harry Savides was the cinematographer for American Gangster, okay. by the way. Not, not Roger Deakins. Okay. Um, although there's some similarities in some of the style, I think. But There's grain yeah. in this movie and grain in that movie. Bo- they both have kind of a period there look about them that's not so glossy. Harris Savides also did Zodiac. Ah, okay. Um, and also Birth and Elephant from 03 from Gus Van Sant. Hmm. Anyway, all right. back to Jesse James. So all of that clashing of yin and yang is also in the story. You know, that's all style stuff. It has nothing to do really with the narrative. Mm-hmm. But then we have this whole narrative. In the title, Robert Ford, Casey Affleck, is called A Coward. Yeah. So is that ironic? Is that honest? He does shoot his idol in the back. Yeah. Which is kind of a cowardly move, but it also is. Brad Pitt is kind of crazy and he kill might everybody. kill him. Yeah. Um, so maybe you can argue that and then he's also celebrated in this in this world. He he puts on stage shows reenacting what he did while also getting heckled in bars afterward yeah. for the exact same thing that he was celebrated for. So it's like this constant push and pull. And I think the style informs the this the substance. Yeah. Um a funny quote that I read about. Um <laughs> so this is kind of compared to Terrence Malick. Um, the style just partly because of how slow it is and how like mm. willing to just like hang out the ca- hang the camera out on you know yeah something in nature for a while yep, yep. um and um there was the the director kind of made a joke that they you know Terrence Malick saw the movie and said he thought it was a little slow <laughs> <laughs> um yeah this just one last note from me um. This is not a movie that I feel like I would recommend to everyone. You know, if I'm talking to somebody who I know is more of a kind of a casual movie person, yeah. I'm not going to say, you know what you got to check out yeah. because I don't think this was made for them. Would you do that for no country for old men? Oh man, we're going to, we're going to talk <laughs> in depth about that. But my memory well, of what that movie was compared to what it actually was, I was kind of shocked on rewatch. This I week. saw you tweet about this and I, I think your tweet is so far off this, <laughs> but we'll get into that later. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird because it's like, it's a Brad Pitt movie. It's a Western, it's Casey Affleck. It's about a murder assassination it sounds actiony but it's really an acquired taste type of a movie mm-hmm. it's very unusual maybe that's why it flopped yeah and again we're we're talking about about the moral ambiguity that i kind of started this conversation with when i saw this for the first time years ago i was kind of doing like a horror i mean a uh, western marathon mm. where i was watching in chronology a lot of westerns i was trying <laughs> to kind of get a feel for the genre did you watch high noon uh, yeah, I watched I watched a bunch of them. So going in that sort of trajectory, you see that the early Western is so much about the black hats versus the white hats, you know, bad guys versus good guys. And by this period, these are like gray hats. You know, these are all these are all people who are kind of in the middle and can't be identified. Are as they good in as- the middle? Aren't they all just bad? They're all robbing banks and robbing trains. Yeah. I don't see where there's any really redeeming qualities of any of them. The only thing that, that Robert Ford has going for him is that he killed the killer. So now he's yeah. kind of being celebrated, but we all know that he's not really that admirable of a dude. He's just really magnetic to watch. Um, so as far as like what's redeeming about it, 
I don't, I don't know who feels, first of all, also, we forgot about Sam Rockwell, who I would give mm. that, I would give Sam a, a BPT GIE stamp. Yeah, I might. I might. I love Sam Rockwell. I would have to really consider that one, but I think <laughs> I would put him above Shannon. Yeah. Yeah. In, in those I rankings. would, I would too. But I don't know. And maybe it's not sort of moral <laughs> ambiguity as far as just general ambiguity what do we think about about these characters you know are we supposed to see affleck as a coward and a bad guy even though he's our protagonist or is the movie kind of commenting on the title by you know it's by putting that right out in in the in the center having us think it from the very beginning and then kind of challenging us on it every step of the way did you not did you think that he earned the title coward Yes, you know, yeah, because there is a certain, you know, there's a code uh, in yeah. the Wild West, and if you're going to die, you if should do gonna, it fighting and with honor or whatever. If you're going to go along with Jesse James, you got to take that bullet from him like a man, yes. not shoot him. Yeah, in the back. Um, but the way the movie sets it up is it's almost like Jesse James sort of knows it's coming and you prepares know that, himself for it. Did you notice the picture way. on the wall that they're looking at? Mm-mm. Horse. Oh, this is an art film. Any, was there any tall grass that I missed? I'm sure there's tall any grass wind. In it. Oh yeah. Um, Lewis Beale of Film Journal International. That's another indication that this is an art house film. It's being written about in Film Journal International. That's fair. Yeah. Um, Lewis Beale said the film is a fascinating literary based work that succeeds as both art and genre film. Hmm. What do you think? I think it's a little generous by calling it a genre film. Yeah, I, No Country for Old Just Men is way yeah, yeah, more oh, yeah. of a genre film, and yeah. even that, I think, it's getting by on 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 benchmarks there yeah. without actually really diving into the style so much. <clears throat> so um, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. That uh, that Terrence Malick quote I found it in my notes that it actually he it was a it was a post screening Q and A in 2013, and um the director Dominic said that when he showed Terrence Malick a cut, his reaction was it's too slow <laughs> drawing a laugh from the audience. <laughs> so hopefully that was sort of self-aware. <laughs> yeah. Does he not realize that he's slow also, but he was, he's good enough that he made the top movie of the year, you know, new world. I think yeah. a couple of years before for you. Um, uh, Shia LaBeouf, Shia? Shia. Shia LaBeouf. He was uh, considered for that Casey Affleck role as well. Hmm. Glad he, it went for Casey. Yeah, I think that Shia is good, but Casey's, Casey's a one of a kind. This is like genius um, acting, this, this movie, for his performance. After I saw this for the first time, I was kind of like, is Casey Affleck my favorite actor? Yeah. I, I, I think he might be. I mean, between this and Drowning Mona, like what else do you need? Oh man, I was even forgetting about Drowning Mona. I was so caught up on Manchester by the Sea, I forgot his best role. Oh, that's great. So I, Andrew Dominic also has Blonde coming out in uh, September on Netflix, which is a mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe sort of biopic. Mm-hmm. I think it might be in black and white, so that's relevant to your interests. You know, the biopic, and you know, it's a little bit, a <laughs> little bit more classy. It's definitely more <laughs> important if it's black and white. I didn't really like Killing Them Softly with Brad Pitt, which was his follow-up to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's kind of one of these directors where if you make a movie like The Assassination of Jesse James, like you got me, I'm gonna come for the next if, one. If you make a movie like Jesse James 
and you only lose 15 million, you're getting big deals in the future. Yeah. So, cause it should have lost 20 million. Right. <laughs> Am I right? I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, Grindhouse lost, I think about 40 from, Whoa. from it. So we'll, I, I want to talk a little bit about Grindhouse when okay. we kind of go into our last segment, but Is keep it, it or kip? kick it for assassination of Jesse James. I, I'll kick it. I, I would have said before, if I just projected my 07s, I would have said this is a top five. Mm-hmm. Rewatching it again, I remembered like all of the stuff with like the Jeremy Renner and Sam Rockwell and the Dick Little character. I forget what his actor's name is. That stuff felt very much like sort of a distraction. Like, I don't want to keep track of these guys. I want to watch Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck. Mm -hmm. And somehow like that stuff was, it felt like that's what made it long more so than like, I'm, I'm okay with some of the, I would rather tighten up that stuff than get rid of even the voiceover and all the other things. Like it didn't bother me as much, but when you add it all together, I felt like it was just, I don't know. It feels a little, little, a little bloated. This is another one. I feel like I have to keep, I, I just, I can't not keep any of these. Like you add all three of these together and then you throw there, we'll, we'll be blood in no country. That's already five. I know. And now we have to go back. I mean, I want to keep the mist. Well, bug is definitely a kick. The miss is definitely a kick. Those are easy. This is, this is some <laughs> horror prejudice right here. Is what's I think going there's on. a little bit of horrorophilia going on. Wow. Too. That is rude. Do you, do you deny it? You're, you're looking at your top five and you're thinking, I have to get two horror movies in here every year. Otherwise, I'll lose my cred. No, no. But <laughs> uh, man, it, you, it comes down to that. What do I ask myself to really decide yeah. what I, which yeah. one of these I value the most? And man, this year, it's just going to be impossible. Casey Affleck's performance is what would make me think, okay, out of the, all the acting performances of the year, which one am I most excited about? Casey Affleck is way up there. So that's the reason that I would probably say it's it's a candidate to kick to keep. But um, I'm going to tip a little bit of my hand. But re-watching Diving Bell and the Butterfly, yeah. it does the cinematography stuff like Deacons is doing here, but even more kind of like wild and crazy. Yeah. And it works way better for me. It's a little more abstract, a lot more abstract. It's more abstract. It's a cinematography movie. Full stop. Definitely. And I'm always, I'm, I'm excited by, by that kind of movie a lot of times and it, it delivers on so many other ways. Um, but when you throw that into the mix with, to me, Atonement is is a is a great movie from the year. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't know. It crowds out Assassination <laughs> for me. There are so many, <laughs> and this is not to mention Knocked Up and Superbad. I know you're not really the biggest yeah, comedy fan. Not that big, but American Gangster looks amazing. I love Denzel Washington in that movie. I like Russell Crowe a lot. You didn't really like that movie too much, right? Yes, no, nah, ten. Um, probably not top not, 15, not this year, top 20? maybe 15. Yeah. But in this year, that doesn't was a chance in my 10. That's a 10 for me. And I thought when I first watched it, this is in my five hmm. when I first, when I first watched it, but it was a while ago, I was trying to catch it before I left Netflix. Mm. So I had, I had to go way out of order for this movie. Yeah. I had to get the DVD from Netflix <laughs> and didn't feel great about it. So you have super bad and you have knocked up uh-huh. to, Mongo comedies from the year. You have the name in the same year as Juno. 
Juno's in there. Michael Clayton was one that I did not yeah. think was a candidate. Michael but Clayton's it's, it's something I'm it's thinking about. It's a contender. Juno's yeah. a pretty easy kick for me. Too. me. me too. Um, but Michael Clayton is definitely in the conversation, and yeah. I think the namesake is in the conversation. I still haven't me. seen the namesake. Do you have it? You want me to borrow? I it? have it. Yeah, I can let you borrow well, it. it. Might for, be too late now. for a price. Um, <laughs> I watched Thirty Days of Night, a vampire movie. That came right before Twilight and True Blood. So it's like right before the glossy, sparkly, mm-hmm. romantic vampire thing like took over. And it's it's definitely not a vampire movie that I think is high art or great. But there are some parts of it that I think maybe it belong in one of the most disturbing or scary vampire huh. movie conversations just because they're they're very animalistic and, and brutal. But I want to talk about Grindhouse okay. and I want to talk about... I have about not seen Rick. Grindhouse. So Grindhouse, double feature, one movie by Robert Rodriguez, one by Quentin Tarantino. That's kind of weird. I mean, that's part of the charm. Is that that's so awesome or is that just a gimmicky? Both. 100%. It's <laughs> it's totally a gimmick. That's what Mar- Quentin Tarantino is all about, right? Well, gimmick uh, I don't know about and that. And great. Let's 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 pump the brakes. I don't want to say his movies are about gimmicks, but this one is a gimmick. His approach to violence is kind of gimmicky. No, yeah, I mean, yeah, he definitely. Maybe that's not the right word. He but. definitely knows the difference between kind of movie violence and real violence, and and he can do both. You know, I think in in Death Proof, his movie, um, out of the two here, there are some moments that are kind of disturbing, but he, but they're on purpose. You know, because he sets up such long stretches of dialogue where you think, is this whole movie just him kind of showing off that he knows how to right dialogue can you compare tarantino's approach to violence with david cronenberg's approach to violence last night i watched eastern promises oh man i haven't seen that in years i haven't been able to revisit it i would definitely not compare their two i feel like there's some affinity somehow with it tarantino is so big it's almost cartoony it's comic booky yeah it's supposed to be sort of um but there's an in-your-face quality to it that's like, yeah. I'm going to make you confront this, you know, blood and guts. Cronenberg definitely does that as well. Cronenberg is <clears throat> is squishy and gross and cringy. <laughs> Isn't there some of that in Quentin Tarantino? No, no. Quentin Tarantino's no. is the kind where you like, you're eating popcorn and you laugh with somebody, <laughs> now, with their head blows up. I have to go back here because th- this is probably a conversation I'm not qualified <laughs> yeah, for. Because I'm watching edited versions of these. So, you know, I'll... I'll, I'll, I'll withdraw. I'll retract yeah, so my take, comments. Take my word for it on this one. <laughs> They're not really the same. Um, but Grindhouse, both of these movies are kind of made in the style of these gritty 70s, 60s exploitation films, like very, very cult classic-y. Um, so you have two movies that are kind of in a very, they're very effect, affected. And then you have fake trailers in the middle of them by other directors like Edgar Wright does one, Eli Roth does one, Rob Zombie does one. And this was one of, I think, one of the greatest movie theater experiences I've ever had in the theater. Because it was just felt like, you say gimmick, and it is, but it was like an event because it's like, what is this? I'm getting to see two movies for the price of one. They're both tongue-in-cheek, made by clearly like the biggest film nerds ever. How long are they? Oh, they're both short. They're like an hour and 20 each. Okay, so it's still a similar length of a... Yeah, yeah. You're not experience. you're not in there for like, you know, two King Kongs or two Return of the Kings. <laughs> <laughs> no. Maybe I bet you can watch both of these and the fake trailers in less time than you can watch either Return of the King <laughs> or or uh King Kong. And you 
bought the extended version. Oh God, that was a mistake. <laughs> but I mean, kind of walking out of the theater, I sort of, I, I felt like, you know, I, I was in the club like, oh yeah, now I, I get it. Like these movies, when you're young and you're kind of looking for like your artistic heroes, mm-hmm. I think a movie like this kind of helps you find it. Well, there's something very pleasurable about watching like going to a double header yeah. baseball game or going knowing that you're going to watch another double feature even just watching two back to back at home partway through the first movie i'm kind of i'm i'm always kind of thinking like you get a smile on your face when you realize we're going to watch another one after this <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of interesting that they would sort of plant that into one movie it's kind of interesting yeah kind of a, especially in this style which is kind of so um celebratory of ridiculousness you know it's everything so over the top especially in planet terror robert rodriguez's movie which was my favorite the first time around and then this time it was easily death proof was my favorite hmm. um wreck i talked about grindhouse is one of my favorite theater experiences mm-hmm. first time around wreck was one of my favorite horror experiences ever i still vividly remember hmm. It being over and just being like terrified and not wanting to leave my room another, because you never know what's behind that door right another tight 90 yeah i mean maybe this is like an 80 tight 80 this is this is a tight 80 you don't get better than tight 80 yeah so this is kind of um a 28 days later in a zombie movie in the vein of 28 days later basically mm-hmm. and at the time i just thought it was genuinely terrifying Rewatching it now I still I still kind of loved it, but it was one of those things where this comes out the same year that Paranormal Activity does. And so we've seen so many millions of found footage horror movies since then that if you lose a little bit of the surprise of the first watch, I, I don't think that this or Grindhouse are growers. And so I they're not going to probably make my top five, even though if I'd seen them both for the first time this year, they almost definitely would have. It's interesting how focused we are on the top five and in only like, I think oh nine is when it expands to like between eight and 10 movies. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden you get like these other three or four that can are on par now all of a sudden, whereas we got this hard cutoff at five. You know, I mean, we're going to need to talk about that. Like maybe we should still say, is this in your one through five or your six through through 10. Well, we always order them anyway, so yeah. it makes sense. But um, <clears throat> one movie that I watched recently that I was thinking a lot about with away, after Away From Her is The Savages. Mm, yep. um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, to me, BPTGIE, stamp of approval. Good I'll in, back that one. Good in sure. everything. Um, you also love Charlie Wilson's War, which, I did. which he was in. I did. Um, and I'm watching um, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which mm. another Philip Seymour Hoffman movie from the same year. Yeah, probably my favorite mm. of the three. Yeah. So <clears throat> that one, um, it, it, it's very similar in some ways to Away From Her because it's about putting somebody into an assisted living home. But um, in The Savages, it's about Philip Seymour Hoffman and Laura Linney as uh, brother sister how it impacts them and i just think their relationship is so so great such you know they're so um so cranky around each other but yet you know how much they love each other and they support each other in different ways and i that one was got me misty-eyed more than away from her did really as a matter of fact wow Hmm. but i don't that's another one that um 
is a top 10 movie for me, but probably isn't in the top five. The Savages. It's such great acting, great writing, all that stuff. That was one that I liked better the first time around. Um, and Wreck and Grindhouse were kind of the same. And then all the ones that we spent most of this time talking about in this episode, those top three, Jesse James, Bug, Awake, Away From Her, I loved them even more. Huh. So I, I, I almost feel like I, I have to value them yeah, the, higher. The more recent, the, it's got to be what you feel about them now, right? Yeah. And because being able to revisit them and kind of find even more to appreciate, I, I think says something about their value. Mm-hmm. The very last one I'll mention that I had an even better time with is Hot Fuzz. Edgar Wright's follow-up to Shaun of the Dead. I'm, <laughs> I was so I'm much puzzled fun. by this movie. I have the movie. I watched the first like half an hour one night <laughs> okay. and I was like, is this going to get better? Because this is nowhere near as good as, as Shaun of the Dead. After 30 minutes. And then the next night, I'm you know, up late, can't sleep. So I get up and watch another 30 minutes and I'm like, this is not getting any better. Wow. And I don't plan to, re- I don't plan to even finish watching it. And I was looking forward to it because I loved Shaun of the Dead so much. Wow. But it wasn't, I was not feeling it. So you put in about an hour and you said, that's it. It's not worth the extra. That's how I roll, man. Wow. Well, (laughs) I will definitely agree with you that it's not up to the caliber of Shaun of the Dead. I think it's just below it. Mm -hmm. But I I was, I was laughing and loving from, (laughs) from start to finish. I think it's so funny and how it goes from the zombie genre, just kind of loving parody to the cop genre doing the exact same thing mm-hmm. where it kind of makes fun of it, <clears throat> but also celebrates it at the, t- at the same time. See, that's, a great time. that's the thing, you know, you mentioned that I don't love comedy and there are very few that I really love, but I actually just don't like laughing that much. I would prefer, I, I would prefer to cry. So, <laughs> so I guess in conclusion, in conclusion, this year is going to be impossible to rank. And we should just give up now, or we should do No Country next episode. Let's do No Country. Okay. Uh, Best picture winner, you know, best movie of the year, best movie of the decade. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. According to some. Until then, find us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you listen. We're also on social media. And for 16 years of Golden Takes, head over to Letterboxd slash Mike Cavalier. To support the show and help select a movie for a bonus episode, visit patreon.com slash bestpicturethis. Thanks to WNZF and the illustrious Mark Gilliland for producing. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening to Best Picture This, the AARP Movies for Grownups of Film Criticism. <laughs>